of you who are new in our midst, I think I saw to extend a warm welcome. I think I saw Mr. Lee. Are you here? Yes, right, Mr. Lee is there. He's here. All right, long-time member. He's back. Yeah, so good to see you again, Mr. Lee. Right, so with that, let's give this time as we prepare our hearts to listen to the Word of the Lord. You know, children of all ages, I believe, they love to hear stories, isn't it? And especially those stories that are told in fairy tales. And I suspect that we as adults, we too are the same. We also love to hear stories. We enjoy listening to them, not only because it is entertaining, but I believe more so because stories have this ability to tug our hearts Stories have this ability to stir our emotions and to make us feel good, especially when there is a happy ever after ending. But yet, in reality, not all stories end up in this manner. But nevertheless, we still do enjoy a good story, isn't it? And without a doubt, you can perhaps agree with me that Jesus is indeed the greatest storyteller ever lived on this earth. In fact, I think you will attest that Jesus is the greatest teacher of all times. In fact, the Bible tells us that those who knew him declared that he spoke as one who had authority and not like the scribes and the Pharisees. John chapter 7, verse 46, record of some who said of Jesus that no one ever spoke like this man. And the reason for this claim is simply because in most of Jesus' teaching, Jesus used parables. So what then are parables? Well, you find that the very word comes from the Greek parabole. And it derived here from a verb to simply mean set side by side or to compare. Parables then are thus short, simple and memorable stories using everyday images and characters from which the common people of the day could relate to. And you find that Jesus effectively used this parable as an illustration to convey a spiritual lesson to his hearers. And interestingly enough, you find that these parables form approximately one-third of all of Jesus' teaching. And so this evening, as we gather together here for service, we want to kick off our new sermon series for the year by focusing on the parables of Jesus and beginning with this parable concerning the wise and foolish builders. But why do we want to focus on the parables for this year? Well, for those of you who missed our Thanksgiving service where I shared the direction from the church for the new year, the reason why we want to touch on the parables is simply because it has to do with our theme, our church theme for 2024, which is to be ready. <clears throat> and to be precise, we are to be ready for Christ's second coming. You see, with all that is happening in the world today, the wars, the natural disasters, the lawlessness, these are really early signs that points to this very event of Christ's second coming. When would this be? We do not know. Scriptures doesn't tell us the answer. Scriptures only tells us that only God the Father knows the answer. Jesus himself doesn't know when this will happen. But Scriptures also instructs us, though it doesn't tell us when this day will occur, Scriptures does instruct us to be ready and not to be unprepared. 
Hence, our sermon series on the parables where we will touch on areas concerning what Jesus taught about the kingdom of God, as well as we will look on how in the parables teaches us what we can do to prepare ourselves for the end times. <clears throat> and so as we go into this parable, it's important before we look deeply into the parable itself, we need to comprehend why Jesus told this particular parable. And to understand the reason behind this, we need to go back all the way to verse 12 of Matthew chapter 7. And so if you have your Bibles, let's move back all the way to verse 12. And here we find in this particular verse, we have here what Jesus state as termed as the golden rule. And the golden rule says this, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And so when Jesus stated this golden rule, he effectively ended the sermon on the mount. And why he stated this golden rule is simply this. You see, Jesus wasn't merely wanting to just teach the multitudes. He wanted to press home to the crowd this importance of ordering their lives in accordance to the word that was spoken. He didn't just want them to just listen to the nice things that he said. He didn't just want them to listen to the stories that he told. He wanted them to own it for themselves, to put it deep into the heart, and to learn to apply it in their lives. In other words, they're not just to hear, but the key word here is do. And do is an active verb meaning to perform, meaning to execute, to accomplish, to apply. Do, in simpler terms, does not mean NATO. NATO not referring to the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, but to the acronym, no action, talk only. So when Jesus says, you are to do, it's not just to hear his words. You are to hear and you are to do something in application. So as we receive the word that Jesus teaches us, Jesus is expecting you and I to follow up by applying the words that was taught into our lives. As James writes in this epistle, we are to be doers of the word, just hearers only. And so what does this mean for us? Well, it simply means that we must act upon the saying of Jesus. And Jesus has just completed the Sermon of the Mount. And so what does this mean is simply this, that what Jesus has taught in the Sermon of the Mount, we are expected to apply them. We are expected to do something about what has been taught. So for example, when Jesus taught us to be salt and light to the world, it simply means that our character, our conduct, our conversation must be something that is likable to those around us. When Jesus tells us not to be angry, it means that we must seek reconciliation. We must not always get upset with one another. When Jesus says not to retaliate, it simply means we must love one another, not to be anxious, not to judge one another, to bear much fruit. So Jesus is pointing to the importance of not just hearing to the Word, but to do the Word that was taught. And as we move on, we find that to further reinforce this importance of the act of doing, we read in verse 13 that Jesus used now the metaphor of the narrow gate in an eschatological setting, meaning during the end times. 
Now, unfortunately, this interpretation between the narrow and the wide gate is taken in a very contrasting way by different ones. And so to avoid any misunderstanding, Jesus intended this metaphor to be a comparison between the way of righteousness, which is the narrow gate, and the way of the wicked, the wide gate. But basically what Jesus is trying to do here, his concern is our response. What is our response? Are we doing the right thing? That is to say, are we following the right path? You see, this is an important decision that we have to make. Consider that it will determine our future destiny. Jesus pointed to us that the white path is one that is easy, is one in which many will be able to find. He then further says that the path is also one that leads to destruction. As to the narrow gate, he says, though it leads to life, it is hard. And those who find it are few. Now let's pause for a moment and just reflect on this word heart for a while. You know, when Jesus says the word heart, it is translated here not as the word difficult, as we would come to assume. You know, it's not like when we, for those of us as students, we go for our exam, you know, we say, how's the exam? And then we say, oh, the paper is hard. Gee, the paper is not hard, the paper is soft, you know. But when they say the paper is hard, they're trying to imply that the paper is difficult. But this is not what the Greek word means when it says uh, hard. Rather, in the original language, it carries the meaning of being constricted, of being pressed upon. So Jesus was asserting then that the Christian walk is hard. To enter this walk, to enter into the narrow path is hard. Why? Because there'll be many challenges, there'll be rejection, there'll be persecution along the way. And all this is due, as Jesus continued to tell us, is due to the introduction of the false prophets. And these false prophets, they appear in sheep's clothing, they portray themselves as authentic members of the church, but instead, they are really ravenous wolves. Their real intention was to seduce the flock away from the narrow path to the broad way, which lead to destruction and death. And so we find that Douglas Howe, one of the theologians commenting on this particular group, he says this. He says that, the, that, that this group of false prophets, their charismatic powers set them apart and rendered them fascinating. People are drawn towards them. And it's for this reason, their failure to take Jesus' moral teaching seriously can have grave consequence for those who look up to them as outstanding Christian leaders. So what he's trying to tell us is this, that these false prophets, they are so dynamic in the way they talk. They have the gift of the gap. They are able to sway you because of this, they are not true to the word. They don't teach the right thing. They lead those flocks into the way of death. So Jesus is warning us of these false prophets because they do the wrong thing. But wait a minute. If you have heard the reading, or rather if you have read the passage you'll find that the text actually does inform us that this group of people, they did good works, you know. Because if you look at verse 22, in verse 22, we are told that they evoked Jesus as Lord. They called Jesus Lord. They prophesied. They even healed people in the name of the Lord. Yet, why is it that God 
is against them? Well, the answer is simply this. Though it does appear that they are indeed doing good, here's the important fact that we must not miss. You see, these false prophets will be rejected in the end because Jesus said to them in verse 23, I never knew you. Depart from me. And why this is so is because as pointed out again in verse 21, it is due to their failure to do the will of the Father. And what then is the will of the Father? It is to hear and to obey the Word. The will of the Father is not just to hear the Word. The will of the Father, as Jesus tells us here, is to hear and to obey the Word. We see now this link between the will of the Father to hearing and doing what the Word requires of us. So with this understanding, we can now look deeper into this parable. And as we look into this parable, there are three images that I want to draw our attention to. And we will begin first by looking at the storm and what it represents. Jesus made it very clear when he told this parable that this storm represented the judgment day. Because if you look at verse 22, just before he told this parable, he used the phrase, on that day. And as mentioned earlier, Jesus was alluding to an eschatological setting. So this particular day that Jesus was referring to was the day of judgment. And what is this day of judgment? Well, for the Jews, it is a future day following the resurrection of the dead where every one of them, the actions and deeds that has been done will be held accountable and they will be judged. And for us Christians today, we hold to the same view with the one exception that this event is also related to the second coming of Jesus where we recite in the Nicene Creed that this is the day where Christ will appear to judge the quick and the dead. So church, no doubt about it. The end times, the last days, is a day of judgment. Paul in Romans 40.12 writes concerning this day. He says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. All the things that we have done, we will have to be answerable to God. Hebrews 9.27 strikes the same note. Which the author says, in just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So yes, this day will come. This day will be a day of judgment. And yet, despite of this truth, you find that people still choose to be ignorant. There are people who still pretend that this day doesn't exist. They don't want this day to come. They don't want to be held responsible for their many misdeeds. But church, listen, ignorance does not make this day disappear. So the question for us is not whether this day is coming, because it is real. It will come. The parable then is all about how we are to be prepared for the second coming of Christ. This parable is to tell us how we are to face the future judgment re represented by the storm that is fast approaching. It's going to be like a massive thunderstorm. 
very much like some of the news that we hear today, you know, that the world is encountering right now. So, what have we done to be ready? What have we done to be prepared for this coming storm? The storm is approaching. But what are we going to do in preparation? Jesus leads us now as we continue on in this parable. He tells us now next of the two types of houses mentioned which are a representation of different lives. And quoting Douglas Hare again, regarding the two houses, he says this, the two houses represent not good and bad construction practices. Rather, they are wise and foolish choices of a site. The foolish man builds as well as the wise, but he makes the incredible mistake of erecting his house on sands of a seasonal river. So when you juxtapose the two and you see that one is built on the foundation of a solid rock, while the other is built on shifting, unstable sand. The house on the rock reveals adequate preparation against the storm, while the house constructed on sand illustrates inadequate preparation. So simply put, what is required to withstand this storm that is coming is we, our life, must have a solid foundation. Houses must have a strong base in order for it to stand firm. So what is that foundation that we are laying that is able to withstand the storm? I want you to see the next slide. And you'll find that in this next slide, you'll recognize some of the tallest structure in the world that is today. Yeah, we have the Petronas Tower, we have Taipei 101, Tokyo Sky Tree, and the Burj Khalifa. Perhaps some of you, you may have even been to uh, one of these, or maybe more of these buildings. But what caused these tall buildings to remain upright? What caused them to remain strong in the midst of a fierce and raging storm? What's the answer? A strong foundation. It is a strong foundation that causes this building to remain upright despite the heavy rain, despite the strong wind that is blowing. And so you find then that the key to a strong and steady and stable foundation in our life is found in verse 24, where Jesus says these words, that everyone then who hears this word of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And so you see that according to this verse, to have this strong foundation involves, number one, we need to do the will of the Father. And what is the will of the Father again? It is as really as established, it is not only to hear, but to obey the words that Jesus taught. And secondly, to have this strong foundation, we must also have a right relationship with Jesus, who is the rock. And to have this relationship with Jesus simply means we put Jesus as a center. And get this, it is through this relationship that we will therefore know what is the will of the Father. Make sense? We only know the will of the Father when we have this relationship with Jesus. Because you see in verse 23, the false prophet didn't do the will of the Father. They had no relationship with him. That's why 
they were rejected. That's why they fall. In other words, these false prophets have a weak foundation. And Jesus is highlighting to us that yes, it is possible that you and I can also have a weak foundation. Because he says in verse 26, that everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds this house on the sand. And the picture here in verse 26, you know, as I was reflecting over this, the picture here comes to my mind is of an inexperienced person who wants to build a house. And so what does he do? He goes to someone who is experienced. He goes to hear an expert architect, maybe like Eric. You know, he goes to Eric and asks, Eric, how do I build this house? And Eric, being the expert architect, will tell him what to do. But this foolish man, instead of following what was suggested, he ends up ignoring the guidance and does the construction in his own way. And as a result, we know that the house will not stand and it will come crushing down. This is what it means to only hear the word and not act upon it. Maybe another way to help you understand this better, you know, it's maybe we can relate to hearing the word to nagging. We all know what's nagging, right? We nag at one another, isn't it? All right? Parents, we nag at our children. Husband and wife, we nag at one another. And we, the truth of the matter is we don't like to be nagged at. When someone nags at you, what do we do? Nothing. We hear the word. We don't act upon it. You know, when we tell our children, you have to tidy up your room, you're going to study, all they do is they listen, it goes in one ear, and they come out of the other ear, and no action is taken. No root has taken place. And so we can conclude, therefore, that the one with a weak foundation is the one who only hears the word and does not respond to the word. We come now to the last image that Jesus points to us in this particular parable. And just as there are two houses, Jesus tells us there are also two builders. If the house represents our lives, then the builders are a reflection of you and I. And referring again to verse 24, Jesus tells us that the person who builds on the rock, the person who responds, listens, and obeys the word of the Lord, this is a representation of wisdom. He's considered wise because he's aware of the approaching storm. He's aware of the danger that is coming. And so what does he do? He wisely prepares himself by doing the right thing. And what does he do? He diligently places his foundation on the solid rock. He hears and obeys the instructions of God. But this second character, he builds the house on the sand. Jesus says he represents foolishness. Why? Because he doesn't do the right thing. He's considered to be lazy. He doesn't bother to dig through. He's not diligent enough. He just lays his house right on top of the sand. And needless to say, that when the heavy rain poured and the rain blew, it is obvious as to which house is left standing and which house will fall down as the old Sunday school song goes. And the truth of the matter is, 
there are some Christians who are like that. They perhaps think that, you know, they accepted Christ as the Lord and Savior, that it's a done deal. You know, they, they are saved. But the Bible clearly warns us that that's not true. If we are truly saved, if we truly love Jesus, we must build our life on a strong and solid foundation. We must have that relationship with Christ. We must be able to listen and to hear and to obey His words. Because if we fail to do this, we don't have that strong foundation. And at the end of time, we end up listening to the words of Jesus, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. To sum up then, the message behind this parable is simply this. There is a great storm that is approaching. And what is this storm? It is the dreaded storm of God's judgment at the end of age. We don't know when it will appear, but it is coming. And at the same time, we need not fear this day. Because in order for us to be safe from this impending storm, preparation must be made now while we are still here on this earth. And the only way to be adequately prepared is to build our lives on the right foundation, which is founded in Christ the rock, as well as on the application to the words that He teaches us. It's only then, it's only then, are we considered to be wise? It's only then we can be prepared and ready for the end times. So church, as we close, may these words challenge us to be a church that we want to be a church that is committed to obey His commands. May we as disciples of the Lord develop a daily relationship with Him. You know, as we begin this new year, Many of us may want to start a, res a New Year resolution, yeah? And if we have not been doing regularly in our daily quiet time, maybe this is the right time to start now. Don't just be hearers of the Word. Don't just be NATO, no action, talk only. Don't just say, I want to do this and we don't do it. May we be one on this day of judgment, not end up like those who hear these damning words of the Lord in verse 23, where Jesus turns to us and says, I never knew you. But instead, let us all here in all saints, as we strive to prepare ourselves, that when we meet the Lord again in this day of judgment, we hear the words from the Master, well done, good and faithful servant. And here again is the indication of doing right. So church, let's do right. Let's be prepared as we begin the year. Let's be ready for Christ's second coming by building that strong foundation in our lives. Let's stand. We're going to sing the song as a response that as the word has been spoken today, let this be our desire that we want to build that strong foundation in Christ. And let me just encourage us that as we sing whatever commitment that you want to make this day as we begin the new year. You may want to start afresh by renewing your relationship with God. You may want to start afresh by saying that, yes, Lord, I want to be obedient to your word. Let just not be lip service.
let's not just let us be talk only, but let us, as the word today reminds us, let's do it. Let's do it. Worthy of every song we could ever sing.